All right, next up, we're bringing in truth seeker and podcast host, Liberty Lockdown, Clint Russell. Liberty Lockdown is a podcast of people that demand freedom. Give me liberty or give me death. He interviews a number of creators, authors, investigative journalists, and fellow truthers. We're going to be talking about the Pentagon Papers, Tucker Carlson's next move, how Clint has spoke with Julian Assange's family, and Julian Assange is a cause dear to our hearts here. We've spoke to some of his family and corresponded with him as well. And Clint will be taking your questions. So, wherever you are watching this, YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, give us your questions. Hey, Clint, thanks for coming on, man. Thank you for having me, Sean. Yes, uh, I was very surreal getting to speak to Julian's father and brother, but uh, I, I hope that we get some good news here soon. Heartbreaking, isn't it? Before we get there, though, can you just please tell the viewers a little bit about you and what you do? Certainly. Uh, I'm the host of Liberty Lockdown. I was an entrepreneur and mortgage broker for about 15 years, retired at uh, 37 years old in 2020, May 2020, to start my podcast. Uh, shut down a successful company because I was so concerned with the trajectory of you know, liberty on earth, <laughs> much less America. And I wanted to try and put my finger on the scale back towards human liberty. So uh, I've been very gratified to see that the libertarian community in particular has embraced me and I get to fall in the footsteps of some of my heroes like Ron Paul and Dave Smith. Yeah, I used to watch Ron Paul a lot on Alex Jones and what what's the basics then of libertarianism peace and property rights i mean that's that's the basics uh you know anti-interventionist stance and then uh i'm an anarcho-capitalist so i i believe that capitalism is the most beneficial way for civilization to structure trade and for humanity to basically improve upon itself without force or coercion so you're a friend of charlie robinson then i am Yes, I, I, oh, I, I've got to meet so many people through this uh, this podcasting community. It's been incredible. Shout out to Charlie Robinson. He's a fantastic guy. Absolutely love him. Yep. And I'm sure we're going to be seeing him soon. All right. So um, Tucker Carlson, then. Let's, cause we'll segue over from the last guest to that. What, what are your thoughts on what's going on there? I, I think it's interesting. I mean, um, I, I've really kind of made my name over the past two years focusing on ESG. And I, I think that there's a really compelling argument to be had that the advertising pressure via the ESG mechanism uh, likely played a, a major role in the ouster of Tucker Carlson. I, I think that there's also a compelling argument to be made that the fact that we're ramping up towards World War III and you have the most popular newsman in America that is skeptical to put it mildly as to the propagandistic push towards that end i think that that was a non-starter and uh, i think that's why he's out and i think that all of the hit pieces that we've seen by media matters etc cetera, etc cetera, over the past week have been demonstrating the the truth of the fact that megan kelly and the other ousted fox employees that in fact fox news creates dossiers against their employees to smear their names on their way out uh, really dirty pool so if democracy is the road to tyranny, are we at that junction now where World War Three is irreversible? I fear we might already be in World War Three, to be honest. But um, you know, for for the sake of humanity, I pray I'm wrong <laughs> because I don't think that we survive World War Three. I really don't think that you can have a 
a conventional warfare world war given that there would be so nu- so many nuclear powers involved almost certainly it would be china and russia versus nato which has multiple nuclear powers as well i just don't see how that doesn't escalate into a nuclear holocaust so uh are we are we at the point where we can't turn back no i, I mean until until nuclear weapons are fired you always have the chance to turn back and and i pray that if there is ever a, an order or an instruction that gets sent down to either the Russian military or the U.S. Uh, to fire, that cooler minds prevail and uh, and the better spirits of humanity went out. Yeah, I concur. But do you think there's something deep-rooted in human nature that is psychopathic and murderous? And we see these 100-year war cycles throughout history we haven't had it full on with nukes yet, but it seems that this, you know, people just roll the dice through greed and ego to get us on the brink of these things. And some of them are so psychopathic they push push could push us over the brink. Oh well, you're you're obviously correct. I mean, they're they're particularly the people in in the halls of political power seem to be extraordinarily detached from the human cost of war. And when it comes to nuclear war, however, that is something that would impact them as well. So I have to assume slash hope that they would realize you cannot have (laughs) nuclear war without their lives being disrupted in a significant manner. Um, But my my real deep concern is that because the, the petrodollar system and the U.S. dollars reserve status is in such such jeopardy, uh, there's the potential for really dramatic, uh, basically gambits. You know, just taking taking a shot, hoping that you can basically get your enemies to be subdued without them going nuclear. And and I'm of the opinion that, given Russia's perspective on Crimea in particular and the warm water naval base there in Sevastopol, that they cannot relent from that. That they they do view that quite correctly as existential to them to their national security. And while I don't obviously support the war in Ukraine and I don't support Russia's invasion there either, I think that there's a very compelling rational argument as to why, given that they did have a lease on Crimea, or at least on on the naval port there, that when the Ukrainians tore it up after the Maidan revolution, uh, they felt as if that was uh, not acceptable, uh, particularly given the State Department involvement in that coup, uh, Victoria Nuland and Jeffrey Pyatt on tape, the Niet means Niet cable that was released. I mean, the, the list goes on and on as to why the Russians should view this as a, in my opinion, at, at minimum, a very uh, provoked war. And it's crazy times, man. Do you think that you're judging the politicians, though, as having the minds of normal human beings? Because <laughs> as, as opposed the, to devil worshippers? <laughs> as opposed to mass murderers. Some, yeah. of the murderers are, some of the murderers I've interviewed, for example, have asked them questions such as, is the death penalty a deterrent? And they say no, because mm. we don't think we're ever going to get caught. Mm. Hitler thought he was going to keep winning, didn't he? He didn't think he was going to end up True. happening to him. So if you're a leader and you've got your hand on the nukes and you've got this psychopathic, murderous psychology whereby you don't think you're going to ever get caught, you're going to keep winning, wouldn't that kind of mentality just drive us all out into complete destruction of the earth? Yeah, I mean, it, I think that there's 
because there's a, a chain of command and ultimately it's not Biden that presses a button and then just nukes fire. Uh, if that were the case, I think we'd probably all be dead by now. Um, but I think that there's a, a good chance that someone within that chain before they actually press the button will will say, no, this is insane. What are we doing? We're not going to end all life on Earth over some, you know, who which corrupt government gets to rule over the eastern portion of Ukraine. Like, no, we're not doing that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, your point's well taken. Uh, I think that the the political class in particular is just completely out of their minds. And I don't even know that they, like most of them, I don't even think have any sort of firm opinion on this war. They're just kind of doing the bidding of corp corporate oligarchs and the people that they're uh, you know, being sponsored by in their campaigns. Uh, but it's regardless, it's extremely unhealthy and extraordinarily dangerous for humanity, really. And what was the role of Julian Assange in all of this and what is going to be his fate? Well, uh, if it weren't for Julian, uh, my understanding is that WikiLeaks was where the Nyet means Nyet cable uh, was leaked to and, and was dispersed to people like myself that were able to read it and see that, in fact, uh, it was quite clear that for, from the Russian perspective and according to our State Department, and, and now I think he's the head of CIA, actually, I, I could be mistaken, uh, but there was not a single person in Russia that felt that Ukraine being added to NATO would be an acceptable thing for anybody in Russia. The moderates, the the peaceniks, everybody was just like, this is crazy. We cannot have NATO added to or have Ukraine added to NATO. That is extraordinarily provocative and very, very dangerous for their national security, given that uh, in Yugoslavia, we've already proven that that NATO is not strictly a defensive alliance and there's many other nations that we've toppled since yugoslavia in 99 um so or kosovo rather and it's i mean it's just it if it weren't for julian we wouldn't know that that backstory and in, in my opinion the fact that he was willing to release that uh, as well as the collateral uh murder video back in like i think it was 0809 uh there there's just so many um truths that were given to the american people and the, and the global population that if we weren't privy to them, uh, these narratives about Ukraine and this unprovoked war and yada, 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 all the nonsense uh, would probably be sticking a lot better than it is. So I'm very appreciative for his efforts. And, and I I'm you know devastated to see that a, a true journalist, one of the few that exists on Earth at this point, uh, is being treated so horrifically. Uh, but I pray that given that there's been a, a shift in sentiment uh, amongst much of the public, as well as some political leadership and unfortunately not much in America, but other <laughs> other nations uh, that there may be a reprieve for him here soon. Do you think he will be extradited to America? Well, if if the efforts to get the charges dropped fail, then it's a distinct possibility. And if that happens, I think that, you know, his fate is sealed. Uh, I don't think that he would even potentially see a fair trial in America, uh, much as the well, I don't even know if we should talk about that. I'll, I'll leave that one aside. <laughs> Sorry. Was, is, is that the chief concern of his father? Uh, you know, he really, <clears throat> he, he had a, a capacity to ma maintain optimism that was really surprising, given what, you know, his son has gone through for the past decade. Uh, I, I'm sure that's a, uh, I'm sure that at the end of the day, he's very concerned about that, but he wasn't really focused on that when I spoke to him. He was more, uh, hopeful and optimistic that there seems to be a real groundswell of support to try and you know get the right thing 
accomplish to get him freed. So, what about spying on South Korean diplomats? What's your thoughts there? Yeah, well, uh, from the uh, the CIA or the Pentagon leaks, rather, um, it, it demonstrated quite clearly that <laughs> we, the the U.S. State Department and the CIA most likely is is you know spying on the South Korean diplomats, and, and it's it's tragic because the South Koreans seem to have had the perspective that many libertarians do that they were very hesitant to be arming the Ukrainians. They didn't want to be involved on either side of this conflict. They're not certainly not you know arming the Russians either, but they're just like, look, we don't want to be sending munitions to. Ukraine, because that will upset Russia and that it puts us into antagonistic relationship with them. We would rather stay out of it. And just that information alone was enough for them to be spied upon. And I think that, you know, that's that's what our CIA does to essentially every uh, you know political leadership across the globe. And uh, the fact that it was they're an ally of ours, one of our you know best friends, and yet we still spy spy on them. The fact that we have evidence that we were also sp- spying on Angela Merkel, that we were spying on Antonio uh, Gutierrez, the uh, Secretary General of the UN. I mean, the list goes on and on. It, w- there's no trust in diplomacy. It's just it's just manipulation and spying and dark arts at this point. It's pretty wild. But isn't everyone spying on everyone? And thus, we've got a spy. Otherwise, we fall behind. Yeah, I guess that's fair. Um, I would rather just not <laughs> be participating in so many wars. So maybe the spying wouldn't be so necessary. I mean, there's always corporate subterfuge and spying that goes on too. Um, but that's far more benign when uh, on the flip flip side of that coin is potential World War Three and the end of humanity. Oh, yeah, I agree entirely. It's, it's the, the, the people uh, at the top of entities like the military industrial complex um you know they're the relentless is, yeah very bleak so when did these pentagon leaks occur uh i believe it was like three or four weeks ago now uh, i don't know the the news cycle is kind of a blur but um there was there was some other interesting notes in there too uh i think that the fact that it it disclosed the fact that there was um upwards of 20 U.S. special forces that were on the ground in Ukraine when allegedly, you know, we had been told that there was none and that there's no boots on the ground and that would be, uh, you know, overly antagonistic towards the Russians and blah, blah, blah. And it's obviously factual that there's at least that many there. So and then on top of that in the leaks, it included, uh, you know, British special forces and and many other nations that had uh, boots on the ground in Ukraine. And these are NATO forces, which means that we are risking potentially uh, you know, an article, article five declaration, if any of those troops were to die at, at the munitions of the Russians, even though the Russians wouldn't most likely be targeting them, but because they're in a, an active war zone with a nuclear power that really puts us in a precarious spot, does it not? So it, it's infuriating that once again, we are participating in a war without a declaration of war, without a vote on that war, which there hasn't been a vote or a declaration of war from the American Congress since World War II. It's absolute lunacy that we have done that we've allowed this to persist first off and then secondarily that they that they think that it's okay to continue to do this even when it's a proxy war with the biggest nuclear power on the planet. 6000 nuclear weapons. I mean it's it, it just beggars belief. So if you look throughout history 
the Chinese Empire has had a lot of influence. And now we've got this about the hypersonic missiles. Yeah. Do you think that China's gearing up to make a move after it's, you know, not done anything for so long? I don't know. I mean, China has been for its, you know, military might, its population size, its economy, its military capacity. It has been a very docile competitor to the U.S. global, you know, empire. Um, so I don't know if they're going to try and really test the resolve of both the U.S. and NATO and and move on Taiwan. Uh, I think that it would be obviously cataclysmic if that were to occur, because I, I do believe that the U.S. would intervene on behalf of Taiwan and put us once again in a proxy war with another nuclear power, this time only with 300 nuclear weapons. Uh, so I guess that's an improvement if you're out of your mind. Uh, but I think that the fact that they're moving towards hypersonic missiles that would be able to you know, circumvent our missile defense systems is is trying to, you know, kind of balance the equation with mutually assured destruction. It's it's the same exact thing that Putin did once he realized that the expansion of NATO was going to continue up into his border. Uh, they, you know, revolutionized their entire nuclear arsenal and, and in, included hypersonic missiles once again, which makes military or uh, missile defense virtually meaningless. So I. I I understand why they're doing it just for defense purposes you almost have to you're so out you know you're so outgunned in terms of nukes from the US that the the Chinese certainly were looking at that going like well we better have something that works right and I think that that's why they added it to their arsenal oh, what do you think do you think they're going to move on Taiwan I'm I'm genuinely curious um looking at the world war histories for going back you know, a few hundred years, there seems to be a similar pattern whereby, I'm, I'm, I'm going to answer this in a long-winded way, I think now, whereby <laughs> the, the, the main superpower, dominant superpower, starts picking off smaller countries, islands, whatever, mm. and then there's an alliance of the next powers in the pecking order. They ally, so, you know, Germany and Japan versus the Allies are going back to Napoleon's Grand Army. Yeah, you got Russia there, and you got um, us, and you know Germany. Um, so I think that the main threat isn't China. I think the main threat is America. If you look at all the countries that America has invaded, I'm not saying America as in the American people. The American people are wonderful. Right. We're talking about the psychopaths that are running the military-industrial <laughs> complex who control the politicians. Um, I, I appreciate the distinction. I, I agree entirely. <laughs> Yeah, so look at all the countries that America's occupied, invaded, set up a DEA office in. I mean, they've got China um, surrounded, haven't they? If you look at all of the, the yeah, client totally states, encircled. totally encircled. So if China encircled America, we'd already we'd already be in world war. So I can understand why they're feeling the need to have hypersonic missiles and also if they did annex the island then they could justify that as you know it's a security threat because it's a client state of the enemy i mean if if mexico became a client state of yeah. russia what would america do well that's exactly what the russians said with ukraine they said that ukraine is a client state of nato NATO is extraordinarily antagonistic towards us. We cannot allow them to be a member of NATO. And if you're going to treat them as if they're a de facto member, well, then we're going to not 
allow that to become formalized. So then if we were to actually attack, that it would be an Article 5 violation, which means World War III. So it basically compelled them to move when they did. It's terribly dangerous. Uh, but I agree with you. The U.S. empire is the gravest threat to humanity. And, and as an American, it breaks my heart that I'm robbed every year to pay for it pisses me off to be perfectly honest uh not to mention that that it also jeopardizes my life and the you know all of my future progeny it's absolutely insane that that the american people stand by or much less are propagandized into believing that they should be putting a freaking ukraine flag emoji in their profiles to support this nonsense it's not to the benefit of the american people it is not to our national security interests we have no national security interests in ukraine aside from the potential for other things I'm not allowed to talk about that we may have been working on in Ukraine. Um, so it's uh, it's all just it's just unbelievably frustrating that I, I can't seem to get the vast majority of Americans to wake up to how not to our benefit this is. Not to mention the fact that our debts are absolutely explosive. Not to mention the fact that our inflation is through the roof record high in my lifetime and it's largely a product of the lockdowns and the money printing, of course, but it's certainly not helped by sending 100 billion plus to Ukraine. Uh, it's very it's very frustrating that we're ruled by such scumbags. What is the solution then, Clint? Abolition, Sean. <laughs> Abolition of what, though? <laughs> uh, I mean, every three-letter agency. Uh, <laughs> I, I mean, ultimately, I'm an anarcho-capitalist, so I would like to see as, as small a government as humanly possible and preferably none, but uh, I think that really it's a it's a war for the minds at this point. Like, and this is why you and I probably do what we do uh, is because I'm trying to reach people and let them know that there is truth out there, and that if you if you pursue it with uh, with passion, it it gives us a chance of fighting back against what seems to be insurmountable odds. I mean, in in reality, these people don't outnumber us; uh, they don't really outgun us either. They're just they're just in a position of you know perceived authority um and they have the the levers of propagandistic control to to keep the masses asleep and or at at worse uh, you know pinning us or pitting us against one another when in fact we're not each other's enemies um so i i hope that you know before we have some sort of world war three or an economic reset as they call it uh, i hope that we can realize who's actually manipulating and abusing us so you had a question from Mark Wilson, Clint, and it is, what's your thoughts on the role of central banks such as the Fed and the Bank of England? Well, I think that they're responsible for, I'm, I'm an Austrian economics guy being from the libertarian camp, so uh, I believe that they are legalized uh, you know, money printing schemes and they should be abolished and that the the global population should be in opposition to central banking as it's uh, a prerequisite for Marxism, but it's also uh, just filled with crony nonsense that that isn't to the benefit of the people. Uh, it's it has basically created uh, the the income inequality, which the left laments constantly, is largely a product of the Canelon effect, which comes from central banking, which means that those closest to the the money printer become extraordinarily wealthy, while everyone else's standard of living living uh, you know depletes exponentially. And, and we're now in the, the late stages of that. But this is not late stage capitalism. This is late stage crony capitalism. And it's a product of central banking. So I oppose it entirely. So Adam Smith said all accumulations of debt end in bankruptcy. Is that inevitable? And are we seeing invisible bankruptcy through inflation? Well, 
all, all accumulations of debt in a bankruptcy is an interesting statement because I've I've been in debt and I paid it off. So it's not it's not said, I'm sorry. Let me let me correct that. I think he said okay. all great accumulations of debt, and he was referring okay. to he was referring to states. Okay, states. got you. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, the because of democracy and because of the electoral cycle, there's never any imperative for the current person in power to do the painful thing because it ensures that their political future is ended. So you need someone who is, I don't know if I lost you there, Sean. No, keep going. I'm just changing the okay. battery. Okay. Um, so there's really, there's really no incentive for the politicians to do the right thing. So you need a heroic figure that, that will come in and, and just do it regardless of his political future. And there's very few people like that. That's why I was such a huge supporter of Ron Paul, because he was the type that would have actually done what needed to be done. I don't think that there's any hope that the the GOP or the Democrats will actually, you know, swallow that bitter pill and implement austerity as well as, uh, you know, diminishing the the amount of borrowing as well as the Federal Reserve, you know, hiking interest rates to the levels necessary to to break the back of inflation. It's because of the debt that we're in and because of the national debt that exists, they really can't do it without driving themselves into insolvency. So the the rock in a hard place position is insurmountable at this point i think that you have two choices you have full default on the national debt or you have hyperinflation now that's not to say that it's imminent but i believe that it will happen in our lifetimes and it didn't have to come to this so i'm once again pissed off <laughs> so you invested in gold sure am <laughs> uh gold uh bitcoin and silver uh that's my primary and then I, I was a real estate uh, developer, and I, I have six houses that I'm selling right now. Uh, I actually intend to go to probably 50% cash because I, I, I think that there's a really good chance that if the Federal Reserve's hiking rate cycle creates a, a deflationary death spiral, as you see these uh, banking institutions that are going belly up, I think that there's a real opportunity that we see a, a brief repeat of the 09 through 2010 period, in which case I should be able to pick up some things on the cheap. So I'm, I'm trying to play both sides of it, both the hy hyperinflation in the long term, but deflationary in the short term. Oh, thank you for the super chat sticker there, friendly homie. <clears throat> and um, so we're, we're almost out of time. So libertarians, then you want to reduce government, get rid of bureaucracy, get rid of bureaucracy. Um, if government has become something that just the main drive is expansion, to create more work for themselves how can libertarians ever be allowed into that fold if the vested interests just want continuous expansion well uh this is kind of a, a black pill but also a white pill but the the nature of the state and the nature of bureaucracy is one of kind of uh bloat and lack of nimbleness <laughs> and lack of innovation and lack of productivity it it creates a an opportunity for those that the individuals to find gaps in their their armor and and kind of innovate our way through i think that bitcoin and, and the blockchain environment is is an example of that the internet the decentralized uh, platforms that are are starting to pop up as well as the competitors that have popped up like rumble etc that are are trying to compete with youtube etc like these are all examples of when bureaucracy becomes overbearing, when censorship becomes overbearing, when the state becomes overbearing, you start to see innovation. There's still there's still a, a desire. The human spirit still yield or yearns for for liberty. And mm -hmm. uh, I think that while it's very challenging and yes, it will be very painful. People didn't expect when I was born that the USSR would fall nine years later. And it did. 
And I think that the U.S. empire will fall too, and there are brighter days on the horizon, but it will be very challenging in the interim. Well, look what happened to the British empire. All right, Clint, <laughs> thank you for coming on, man. And just tell the viewers where they can find you and support you, please. Absolutely. Anybody wants to uh, support me, you can go to Liberty Lockdown on YouTube, Rumble, Odyssey, just search Liberty Lockdown, and then at Liberty Lockpod on Twitter. Just hit 80,000 followers, which is pretty cool. And uh, I also do Tower Gang on Wednesday nights, which is where I get to let loose. That's a comedy show. Um, you can find that on YouTube as well. Thanks so much for having me, Sean. Oh, thank you very much for spending time. I really appreciate it. Cheers from London.